1: today. Visit douglas.ca slash Canada land to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash Canada land. Sandy Garasino, journalist with the National Observer, podcaster with the National Observer. Welcome back. It's been too long.
2: It's been a long time. Nice to hear from you, Jesse.
1: Sandy, today we are going to talk about Saudi Arabia exposing Canada's wretched human rights abuses of Jordan Peterson. Free Jordan. <laughs> Free Jordan. Yes. I guess the globalists have won. We are going to talk about Alex Jones losing the info battle, but will he win the info wars?
2: Ooh, that's worth <laughs> Well, we'll go with it.
1: (laughs) All right. Not a fan. And finally, it is time to swallow government-controlled propaganda news and then wash it down with government-mandated buck of beer. Life under Dougie sure does come at you quick. Suckers are us. (laughs) I'm glad to have you back, Sandy.
2: Great to be here, Jess.
1: This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Mike Larson, Linda Stokes, West Bortlet, Kelly Cleland, Melanie Brown, Steve Poots, Spencer Latu, and Rachel Aberley.
0: This is Rachel from Vancouver. I'm a theater artist. I support Canada Land because in a world full of meanwhile in Canada memes, I think it's important to look at this country's many, 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 many imperfections and ask ourselves how we can do a little better.
1: And Sandy, this episode is brought to you by our mattress sponsor, Endy. Now, diligent listeners will note that when Endy came on board, everyone else at Candleland was given an Endy mattress who wanted one except for me because I had been endorsing some other mattress brand and basically my mattress credibility was thought to be low. But the cooling off period has taken place and now I believe I got my Endy mattress and I think that my, my mattress credibility has been restored and I can tell you, Endy makes a mean mattress. It's a very comfortable mattress. I'm enjoying my Endy mattress. Did I sound like, how is my mattress credibility with you, Sandy?
2: I'm wondering about all of these mattress companies, but you're not going to play that, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) We are going to play that because we have <laughs> mattress credibility. People, your indie mattress is made in Canada. And so this is how it all fits into geopolitics. You're going to save on the tariffs and the conversions and all of that crap. No, it's cheaper than all the other mattresses. And it's better than all the other mattresses. And I can tell you that now with first-hand experience. And you'll get $50 more off of their low prices when you go to nd.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand. Check it out.
2: And you can also hide under the bed if you're getting too much news. <laughs> Boo! Boo!
1: Okay, I'm going to attempt a summary of what's happening between us and Saudi Arabia from my very self-centered point of view, because we've been covering the Saudi Arabia thing here. We published a piece by Michael Lista some time ago about Raif Badawi, the poet uh, who was uh, imprisoned and tortured in Saudi Arabia, and the ties that the Griffin Prize, the poetry prize in Canada had to that. Michael Lista wrote this incredible piece. That piece led to Griffin separating itself from investing in General Dynamics, which is the Canadian company that supplied all of these, uh, Justin Trudeau called them Jeeps, but they were tanks, they are armored vehicles that were fitted with weapons. And later on, through Stephen Chase's diligent reporting in the Globe and Mail about, the, I think, the hypocrisy of Canada positioning itself as a human rights champion while selling weapons to Saudi Arabia who are using them to kill people in Saudi Arabia and in Yemen. That's the background from our perspective leading to this most recent turn of events where our foreign minister, Christia Freeland, spoke out, uh, I think, quite righteously and correctly after Raif Badawi's sister, Samara Badawi, has been imprisoned. And that led to a war of words as well as other things. And we're going to focus today, Sandy, on how this is playing out in the media and social media with specific reference to a couple of things that Saudi-affiliated social media have sent out. Of course, they pulled. Uh, they sent the Canadian ambassador home, and then this this infographic KSA, this state propaganda Twitter account, which turns Saudi Arabia messaging into shareable memes. Um, they posted this very threatening image of an airplane seemingly heading straight for the CN Tower, along with the message: "He who interferes with what doesn't concern him finds what doesn't please him." I think everybody took from that the meaning of like, oh, you're going to send an airplane into the CN Tower just like, uh, you know, 9-11, that whole thing. And, and their response was, no, 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 that's not what we meant. No, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's just the airplane taking Canada's ambassador back to Canada. That's what we meant with that. Sorry. So we can see how you got that wrong. That's not what we meant. And then further, there was another Saudi-affiliated um, Al Arabiya video this Al Arabiya media released a video playing this kind of common game at this point of when you call out a foreign country for their human rights abuses they go like well what about your own human rights abuses and among their charges against Canada they said what about the several prisoners of conscience who have been arrested due to their political beliefs in Canada such as Ernst Zundel and Jordan Peterson I I um, so that's, it's interesting. The pairing of Zundel with Peterson is interesting. Um, and yet somehow,
2: anyway, I won't go for it.
1: Yeah. No, I'm not going to, look, I'm not here to co-sign an Al Arabiya. Poli- no, Jordan Peterson has never been arrested. Ernst Zundel is dead. This is all like lunacy. Come in on this, please help me. What What do we make of this spat between Saudi Arabia and Canada?
2: Well, I think it's really important for people to understand that for Middle East watchers, Prince Mohammed bin Salman is emerging as an incompetent world-class bungler in foreign policy. Like, he rivals Donald Trump at how badly he does it. You know, everybody saw, most people saw the big PR... His tour of the U.S. and Oprah and Silicon Valley and the White House and everybody was, oh, this is so great to see a young, exciting Saudi Arabian leader. But in fact, he has been leading for the last three years, he's been leading Saudi Arabia From disaster to disaster to disaster. And this is just another chapter in a really appalling record. I mean, he's doing so badly that his father, who is apparently suffering from early stage dementia, actually had to step in and publicly uh, reject the deal that he appeared to have cooked up with Jared Kushner, where he was telling the Palestinians they could go stuff it. They had to take what Donald Trump was offering or shut up. King Solomon stepped in and said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 we're not, we're not going to be doing any of that. But he's also, he's had his ass kicked throughout the region in Syria. Iraq, Lebanon. His uh, signature foreign policy adventure is the quagmire that he's led Saudi Arabia into in Yemen, which has turned into possibly the worst humanitarian catastrophe in the world to date. But it is not only so terrible as that, it is also costing the Saudis almost a billion dollars a month in defense spending at a time that they're going deeper and deeper into the red because oil prices are so low. This guy, I don't think he could, you know, I don't think it's possible for Saudi Arabia to do this worse. So the picture of the plane flying into the CN Tower is just kind of like, this is right out of their manual. Let's just do the dumbest, stupidest, most erratic and chaotic thing we can think of. How about that?
1: <laughs> okay. But do they have a point? <laughs> You know, do they have a point that we're hypocrites? That we I mean, you know, you call it the, one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world, if not the most. It's being fought with Canadian weapons. We can't have it both ways. I take it that you agree with me that Chrystia Freeland is quite right in decrying their human rights abuses. But we have been complicit. We have worked with them. We have armed them. And now all of a sudden we're crying foul. I don't think that we're hypocrites because we've imprisoned poor Jordan Peterson. Um which we have not.
2: This is falling for the dumbest trap that the Republicans led progressives into through all of 2015 and 2016, the whataboutism. I'm sorry, no. We're not going to, like, we may have an issue around these vehicles, these light-armoured vehicles, which I pray that this deal is getting scuttled. That would be a wonderful thing. Um, But let's not get distracted from the point. Canada was making an issue about women's rights while Saudi Arabia is imprisoning women's rights activists and people with links to Canada. That's it. That's what we should be talking about. And we should not get pulled into, oh, well, maybe they have a point. Like there are very fine people on both sides. No, no, not with these guys.
1: And do you think that the fact that they were being humiliated and castigated by a woman, by Christia Freeland, led to this need to rebuke? We're not going to take that from you. And and that's why, you know, it's, it's being suggested that Canada is kind of of low value interest to Saudi Arabia. So we're being made an example of that this is an optics exercise for Saudi Arabia, the Trump White House has already distanced themselves, that they're not going to come to Canada's aid in any way, um, you know, optically or otherwise, that, you know, we can sort this out with Saudi Arabia on our own. I'm just saying there's something cynical about pointing a righteous finger at them when it looks like we were disentangling ourselves from a financial relationship with them anyhow. Like, would we have made the same statement, you know, a year or two ago when Stefan Dion was saying, hey, it's out of my hands. The deal was already signed. I mean, I, I don't think that we were up on our high horse then. But I, I take your point. Better late than never, right?
2: Better late than never. And you take these things where you can find them. You know, would we do this with China? No, I don't think we would do this with China. We did it with Saudi Arabia because we could. But you know what? Saudi Arabia has been the world's biggest jackasses about women's rights. You know, they have been so oppressive. They've had, I think they had 48 beheadings, by the way, of people in Saudi Arabia in the first quarter of 2018. I just don't even feel like we need to get into any kind of competition here. It was the right thing to do. I'm very glad we did it. I think that Minister Friedland struck exactly the right note, and we should actually be doing more of this, not less, and we shouldn't be criticizing our ministers when they do it. We should be asking them to do it more.
1: I guess when you get into a little bit of a diplomatic spat and their answer is to threaten to fly fly an airplane into the CN Tower, that lets you know that maybe that wasn't a very good friend to begin with. (laughs) Point Sandy. Let's move on. Sandy Hook is a synthetic, completely fake, with actors, in my view, manufactured. I couldn't believe it at first. They go to these pizza places. There's, like, satanic art everywhere. There's there's art of, of these people where they're shoving children into women's vagina. I know that I want to punch you in the nose, you understand? And when I want to punch somebody in the nose, I don't ever lose. I'm, I, don't, I love everybody. I'm not that damn smart. You know how easy this is? Jesus. But no one wants to do it. So that's Alex Jones. <laughs> so it's happened. It's something that has been, I think... Hypothesized for a long time. Sandy, I used to host a tech show called Search Engine. And when we saw these big social media players becoming monopolies like 10 years ago and more, we had these sort of theoretical conversations of like, you know, the early promise of the internet where anybody could say anything and like, you know, people who really cared about Mm. free speech, and I consider myself one of them, this idealistic sense of the internet coming into danger because if a private company becomes the de facto place, if it's only through Facebook, through Twitter, through podcasts. Sure, anyone can throw up a podcast with RSS, but 85% of podcasts are downloaded through Apple. So Apple has all this power. If those companies were just sort of to decide that a certain actor or a certain type of speech wasn't favorable or good, they could just shut somebody right off of existence. And we were afraid of that. And now it's happened to like the person who I'm most happy for it to happen to, but it has happened. That nightmare scenario of private companies deciding who can speak and who can't at least in terms of the platforms that he has been reaching people. I'm not going to say he's without a platform because he's still got some stuff left. And now he has the fuel of being censored. Is there something to worry about here from a free speech point of view?
2: Well, you know, we are in Canada and Canada doesn't have the same uh, almost religious fervor about free speech that America has. You know, I think that we should think about speech in the same way as we think about guns, that some regulation is appropriate and that an entirely unregulated space is a recipe for chaos and recipe for disaster and we are seeing it i mean let us not forget We can talk about Sandy Hook, some of those parents, there are two parents in particular that have had to move seven times to escape the harassment that they have been subject to. These platforms, which were so utopian in the beginning and believed to be such marvelous creations, had enormous potential for damage. Alex Jones's Pizzagate theory uh, that was propelled through the Internet resulted in a guy taking a gun, driving six hours, taking, I believe, an assault rifle, if I'm not mistaken, driving six hours to Washington, D.C., to a pizza parlor with people in it, which he proceeded to shoot up because he was looking for the children that Hillary Clinton and her campaign manager had been keeping prisoners there for their sex trafficking so this is where we've got to and it's very dangerous and look what's happening the attacks on media that that are being propelled by Donald Trump and what is now an actual dangerous place so no rights exist in a vacuum in my opinion they everything is subject to some kind of reasonable limits i mean that's how we framed our constitution our charter of rights that there's a reasonable limitation clause and you know what i don't have a problem with reasonable regulation i don't have a problem with it for guns and i don't have a problem with it for speech and by the way infowars's own site threatens that if you violate their terms of service your posts and your username will be deleted. So, you know, I don't have a lot of sympathy here. I just don't.
1: I'm going to argue with Sandy Gear. I always lose when I argue with you. I'm going to argue with you. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. These are private companies. that can do what they want. I, I, I believe... That's I mean, not actually the...
2: what I said,
1: but it's true. Well, okay, well, uh, fair enough. I'm losing already. I think that if they were to have said... This is despicable, horrible speech, and we're kicking Alex Jones off because we don't like him, because he's hurting people who uh, these things happen to, and we don't have to host anything we don't want to host. I mean, you know, I run a media service. I don't have to host anything. I I certainly wouldn't host anything like that. That would have been more honest than what they actually did. They didn't say, we're getting rid of him because he's denying that Sandy Hook ever happened, or we're getting rid of him because he inspires people to harass people. This was obviously something that they could have done at any point in time. They did it not because they have a a moral stance against them, but because Stitcher did it first and then Spotify did it and then it became the thing to do. And then everybody but Twitter did it because it became bad for business and they will do it again if it becomes bad for business. So who's to say who gets kicked off? They're going to do it completely at a whim. They're going to do it for reasons that have, you know, we're building our platforms. We're building our our civil society and our discourse on these platforms. There are people out there who feel that I control a mob of people who I set upon my ideological enemies. They actually believe that. I think even the people who like the show would never do what I ask them to do. But nevertheless, there are people who think that that I control some kind of zombie mob. And they could go and fill out a form. And if they could get enough, like, people to fill out, you know, I, I fear this because, you know, these American companies don't know anything about who I am or Canadian media. And if they got, you know, one day woke up to a, a petition of 100 or 1,000 people saying, you oh, know, Jesse Brown is dangerous and Canada Land is dangerous, then now the precedent's been set. It's like, this is bad for business. We don't need the boycott. We don't need the negative attention. We're, we're going to throw people off now. I do think that this is a concern for the discourse. I'm like, I, like, what are the rules? You're saying you don't mind there being rules. But these rules feel like they are completely enforced at a whim inconsistently in a discriminatory way that if it was based on morality or idealism, it would make more sense than now, which is just wherever the winds blow.
2: Well, I don't know that it's quite as capricious as you've let on. I mean, it took them a very, very long time. And there was a, there was a huge public outcry. Yes, you can say bad for business, but there was also the community was protesting enormously because the community was being damaged by this speech. You know, we had bereaved parents being stuck by this guy who was attacking them and harassing them, and his people were continuing the harassment. I think that we're still at the very early infancy stage of these platforms, as much as they appear to be these really dominant forms, and they are, but the rules of the road that you're asking for, and I think you're right to ask for them, a lot of the way we're kind of feeling our way along this because we are dealing with something that is entirely new in human experience. But one thing that we do know about the human experience is that total anarchy and chaos doesn't work and we do need some sort of agreed-upon, mutually agreed-upon, socially agreed-upon rules. And we're going to get there and it's going to, we're going to bump into the furniture on this. There's been too much damage already. I remember I got into it with Facebook a few years ago when a young girl in British Columbia by the name of Amanda Todd took her own life after she was blackmailed on Facebook uh,
0: Uh
2: by someone who threatened to expose her and, in fact, then did. And it caused incredible suffering. And what I learned from that confrontation with Facebook was how unprepared and chaotic and incoherent their inner workings were. And I, I haven't seen a whole lot of improvement. Exhibit B, the 2016 election and everything that we're learning about that. But I think we're going to get there. I think in 10 years, things are going to look different than they are now. And we're all going to learn as we go. And is this the worst thing in the world?
1: No. Well, what if it's a slippery slope? I mean, look what could happen next. Ezra Levant, is, is, uh, <laughs> he's tweeting that this is, you know, he could be next. First they came for Alex Jones and next it could be me. He started preparing for this a year ago. They had an initiative last summer that was, uh, friends Ezra said friends I'm worried they could de-platform us at the rebel for telling the truth and he announced a plan uh, they wanted a free app and three hundred thousand dollars he was raising to build their app so they could be free of the you know the coming tyranny from the YouTubes and whatnot and I think he got about hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars the way there and as uh, 1236 Mark Weisbla recently pointed out they never quite got the 300 thousand I don't know what happened to that first chunk of change I'm sure Ezra is just holding on to it in the hopes that he'll reach his goal and then build his his free speech app but but you know know that this is what happens right like alex jones is going to have another act and he's already preparing for it and he's already like a victim of censorship and his app is now number four in the u.s app store which where apparently it hasn't been thrown off yet and his website and he's still got 160 radio stations and you know to the people who follow him it, it really does look like wow you know you must have been telling the truth if, if you're going to be the first person of this size to ever be deplatformed. You must be on to something, Alex. I mean, don't you fear that side of this, that it just makes them stronger?
2: Well, some of the Nazis were deplatformed, too. It's not like this is the very first time. And I think you've put your finger on exactly what the real issue is, which is that all of these platforms, Rebel included, use social media platforms to make a lot of money. This isn't actually about getting their message out. This is about making money and expanding their influence and impact however they can. So the world is a slippery slope right now. <laughs> they're, everything is a slippery slope. But I I just, I don't, I think that if these platforms really do come down hard uh, and consistently, and I would like to see Twitter join this group because they're being pretty incoherent now. I mean, what they're saying on the other side is complete idiocy, which is that it's up to the media now to expose the lies that Alex Jones tells on their platform as he harasses the families of murdered children. The other side of the coin is so ludicrous that it's almost, it doesn't bear repeating or arguing, except that it's there, and that is their, that's their position. What this really points to is hard ideological you, know, you can argue that we're standing on principle, or you can argue that we're taking hard ideological stances. And I think that the real, in the real world, hard ideology doesn't work. We all have to get along, we all have to cooperate with each other, and we all have to follow some general principles. And it doesn't bother me in the slightest that Ezra Levant is a little bit worried that his own finances might be affected.
1: (laughs) Oh no, I've lost again. Listen, 10 years ago, if you would have told me that it's okay to hold somebody responsible, not for what they say, but for what people do based on what they say. Like I was always, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but if somebody takes my criticism and then goes and beats up the person I'm criticizing, holding me responsible for that? Ten years ago, I would have said, no, no way. And the idea that just lying uh, or being wrong, or saying, like, I don't think that this true thing actually happened.
2: Yeah, but is, how are, is, are w- they being w- held be... re- How are they being held responsible? They're being criticized. What's the matter with that?
1: No, there's nothing to be being criticized and being thrown off of the platform. What I'm saying is, I would have said that they're not responsible. I mean, I was the kind of free speech advocate. You know, you know Alan Borovoy, who used to run the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, mm. a Jewish guy, who defended Zundel. Mm-hmm. To bring him up again, he defended Holocaust deniers because the right to say this awful thing, this totally wrong, factually incorrect, and destructive thing that the Holocaust never happened, is a right. And if you don't let him say that, then what's next? I believed that, and I I stood for, and now I, I'm I'm really shook in my belief that people should be free to say whatever the hell they want within, you know the boundaries of not telling people to murder each other because we are dealing with things we never dealt with before I don't like the idea of a world where these companies get to decide that I still know for sure but what the answer is i I uh, I was a lot more certain when I was younger Sandy Garasino, it's been a minute but you remember that we note things duly yes do you have something for us today well I just uh, you know i
2: think that canada might benefit from taking out google and googling the the poor orca mother that uh was carrying her dead calf uh, above the water for i think over a week in british columbia waters you know we're dealing with this with this pipeline issue i've actually come out to support the pipeline an awful lot of people uh in british columbia uh, are vehemently opposed to it but i don't think that anybody can can watch that orca and and the the species that some experts are saying are threatened by the increased uh, tanker traffic and and not sit up and pay attention and think
1: twice. You're pro-pipeline and you're with the National Observer. Where can we learn more about your position on this? (laughs) I'm very curious.
2: uh, Well, I wrote about this about a year and a half ago and I was really putting it in the context of, or shall I say, to me, the pipeline is not the, this isn't the pipeline to fight and die on. Um, Canada has said no to two huge major pipeline projects and it has done an awful lot to support the marine environment and we had an Alberta Premier who brought in a carbon tax and a cap on emissions and ended coal power in Alberta and in my view you support those people uh, when you can because the alternative is that uh, they go down to defeat and then you're going to have to deal with somebody else who's going to ram through every project
1: so a little bit of success is better than no success at all okay orcas and pipelines duly noted sandy i have one yes i think a lot of people read this thread on twitter it was like retweeted like a thousand times from a calgary journalist named david veitch who worked at the for the sun newspaper chain for about 20 years and i want to say that like the alex jones conspiracy thing it is not just the right that can indulge in that sort of stuff David Veitch started with some stuff that is just matters of fact uh, when talking about the Sun. This is a very critical thread about about the Sun chain. He said, okay, look, the Post Media newspaper chain, they bought the Sun chain. Post Media's biggest shareholder is who? An American vulture fund called Golden Tree Asset Management. And who is on the board of Golden Tree Asset Management? As Canada Land revealed, it is David Pecker. Who is David Pecker? He is the chairman, CEO and president of American Media Incorporated. Who are they? They print the National Enquirer. What did the National Enquirer do? They're a Trump asset that would buy and bury stories that were anti-Trump and propagate stories against Trump's enemies and All of that is true, Sandy. All of that that David Veitch was talking about is true. But the next part is, uh, I'm not going to call it necessarily a conspiracy theory. Let's call it conjecture. What Veitch asserts is that Postmedia bought the sun because David Pecker of the National Enquirer of American Media Incorporated wanted a Canadian newspaper chain to use as a quote-unquote battering ram to force-feed Canadians this Trump-friendly agenda and push Canada towards the right and and throw misinformation out there in collaboration with Stephen Harper and the Fraser Institute and Jason Kenney. Perhaps they would buy and kill stories just as the National Enquirer did. They would lend support to fringe figures and hate mongers like Faith Goldie, which it's true, uh, n- numerous Sun personalities have been you know, retweeting and affirming her. But according to David Veitch, this is all kind of like some, some David Pecker plot to destabilize civil society with illiberal fake news psyops. And I just, like, people loved this theory, and, and you know, anything is possible, Sandy, but there was just no evidence. There was no proof given. And we have been documenting, I think, pretty diligently how the sun has just gotten so extreme from their you know, equating Andrea Horvath with Hitler, and we, we exposed the Toronto Sun's editorial plan to support Doug Ford, this document that I've never seen a newspaper ever have such a, a plan to be so partisan as to just campaign for a candidate. But I don't know that they're part of some American pro-Trump media conspiracy. And, you know, that the editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun is actually a lovely woman named Adrienne Batra, who I've always been friendly with. And I, I think it's time that we've been reporting on The Sun and exposing these things and criticizing them. I think it's time that I speak with her. And I've asked her onto Canada Land, and she says she's going to think about it. And I hope that she will come on, because in the absence of some explanation for how radical The Sun has gotten, how extreme it's gotten, there is a vacuum into which these types of conspiracy theories can step in, and they can happen on either side of the political spectrum.
2: Duly noted.
1: This episode is sponsored by Help. Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer.
0: Since his inauguration on June 29th, Premier Ford has been off to the races. Literally. The Premier met with Prime Minister Trudeau, Laid out his agenda during the throne speech, Premier Ford attended dozens of events in 30 days, and he managed to keep a few campaign promises too.
1: We said we're gonna get rid of cap and trade and the carbon tax, reduce gas prices by 10 cents. We did it. We said we we're gonna get rid of the CEO on the board of Hydro, we did it. We said we we're gonna get the kids back in school at York University, we did it. And we're gonna continue getting what we said we we're gonna do done.
0: From Queen's Park, I'm Lindsay Vanstone. Ace reporter Lindsay Vanstone,
1: unsuccessful candidate for the Beat Charlie Sheen's intern competition a few years back. <laughs> now reporting live for Ontario News Now, the taxpayer-funded fake, I, I use this term infrequently, but this time it's its warranted. It is a fake news organization. Now, a lot of people are losing their shit over the fact that Doug Ford has uh, is aping the news media while avoiding the news media. How do you feel about it?
2: Well, from the distant shores of British Columbia, it's it's hard to get. You know what? It's hard to get a feel for this. It's August, but it's clear that you know Doug Ford is just following all of these the path that has been laid out before. Uh, he's doing what Stephen Harper did with his twenty four seven channel. This has been done before, and you know what? I don't think that Stephen Harper's twenty four seven videos went very far or did very much. I think in some ways, the hyperventilating about this, and yes, it is objectionable that it's taxpayer funding that is paying for all of this. Uh, Everything about it is objectionable. But I don't know that Doug Ford is going to persuade anybody who isn't already a Doug Ford voter, uh, as it is. And amplifying his message or getting concerned about this maybe, maybe just amplifies the message, but you're there, you're in Toronto, you're in Ontario. What do you think?
1: I think I finally agree with you and I'm in a safe space. I feel, I feel now I can, I can breathe easy for this segment. No, I think that people are taking this a little too seriously. I think that politicians have always had budgets for propaganda, you know, and the fact that Doug Ford is styling his propaganda to look like a news report pretty ham-fistedly is not that big a deal. And if you look at the numbers these videos get on YouTube, some of them are getting like 500 views, 1,000 views. They do a bit better on Facebook, but I think that's because he buys those views. I think that the real the real point of this is that it makes lefties' monocles pop out, and uh, that's the whole point. I don't think anyone is fooled by this into thinking that this is a real news report. So I think that the, that the real problem is what's actually happening with Doug Ford's relationship with the media itself, which, you know, Steve Mm -hmm. Bacon had a post about how he was using Trumpian tactics of having young staffers cheering after every minister spoken after Doug Ford spoke so that they had the opportunity to just leave and not face questions. And he was pushing the media back further and further when it was their time to ask questions. And to their credit in a rare display of media solidarity, they said, fuck that. In fact, one reporter uh, from CTV, Colin DeMello, using his dad voice, castigated these young staffers and told them basically to shut the hell up. And it shamed them. God bless some shame. You know, it's nice to have some shame at work here. And they they just stopped doing it anymore because, I mean, it, I mean, that's just so I would be so embarrassed to be one of the young people doing that. And the idea that every that the journalists had to line up at the podium and take their turns, the journalists pushed back against that, too, and started yelling out their questions. And the ministers fell into line and answered the questions. So, you know, it's hard to get journalists to work together on anything from rival news organizations, but it looks like they have pushed back there. I think that's where the real game is playing out. It's only to the extent that this fake news, Ontario News Now, is coming at the expense of actual press accountability that it's a concern to me.
2: And that's it's, it's such an interesting point. And I think one of the interesting things is, is anybody else, a.k.a. Doug Ford going to be able to replicate Donald Trump's success because Donald Trump in a way is, you know, he's a sui generis kind of figure. He's a genius for what he does, which is dominate, to dominate uh, the people around him in the media around him. But everybody has kind of cottoned on to his act a little bit. And maybe that has given Ontario journalists a little bit of a a heads up as to what to watch for, that Doug Ford is really just going to ape whatever he sees from Donald Trump. Which brings me to a question, because did that reporter say that Doug Ford was inaugurated?
0: Did I hear that right? Or did I hear it wrong?
1: Let's uh, let's play
0: it since his inauguration on June 29th. Premier Ford has been off to the races. Literally.
1: She did say it. Literally.
0: She did
2: say it literally. And don't think for a minute that that wasn't a scripted word. You know, so that's actually it's, it's, it'll be very interesting. And I and I my only question in closing is how big was his inauguration crowd?
1: <laughs> huge. Sandy, it was huge. <laughs> That is your Canada Land At Sandy Garasino. thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jesse. You can email me about anything you heard today at jessie at dot com. I read everything you send me. And we are on Twitter at Canada Land. Sandy, where can people find you and where can they find your podcast? Well, people can find me at Garasino on
2: Twitter. They can find me on the National Observer. Just search for my columns. And the podcast is also on the National Observer site. So just search for it there.
1: We have a new podcast this summer. If you want to hear more about Doug Ford and God help us all, if you live in Ontario, you probably need to check out Wag the Doug. We also have, if you're tired of all this stuff and it's making you feel bad, a very delightful show called Taste Bud which you can check out it's all about food and it's hosted by Corey Mintz we are on Facebook our website is CanadaLandShow.com we report news stories there all the time our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com CanadaLand this episode is produced by David Crosby our managing editor is Kevin Sexton syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria visit them online at CFUV.ca if you like what we do please support us at Patreon.com CanadaLand